It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Brian Kilmeade. I'm Kennedy. I'm Sean Duffy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, February 12, 2024. I'm Grinal Scott. A daring rescue frees two hostages from Rafah in the southern Gaza Strip. What will this mean for those who remain in captivity there? Yes, they're going to react. Yes, it, 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 there's a potential for making it harder. What you really hope and pray is that they react in the way that you want them to react that is unimpactful to the next time you want to do this. This is the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. For more than four months, the Israel-Hamas war has raged as the world has watched. On both sides, many remain in captivity, and hope remains for the safe release of Israelis and Palestinians that have had nothing to do with the origins of the conflict. Early Monday, Israeli forces rescued two hostages. That good news is tempered by the fact that airstrikes used to secure that freedom killed dozens of Palestinians. That is an ongoing concern in Rafah, which is the last remaining safe haven for Palestinians fleeing the fighting. For people who know, understand, and have participated in extrications such as the one that freed two hostages, the challenges are always daunting and always depend on the circumstances at hand. So there were a few different elements of, of, uh, of the uh, IDF or the, of, of Israeli forces, Israeli intelligence, Israeli special operations forces, and also Israeli police that uh, conducted the operation. Brian Stern is founder of Project Dynamo, an international search, rescue, aid, and assistance nonprofit with experience in working in war zones. What it sounds like is is pursuant to debriefings of, of some hostages that were released, uh, they were able to glean some intelligence about these two people that got rescued. Um, when you do these things, it's all about it's an, it's an intelligence-driven operation. The actual tactical parts of these things are are important, which way the hinges face, how to blow the door off, all those things are really, really important. But it really all starts with the intelligence picture because the these operations are extremely high risk, extremely high risk. They're very fragile. Something as simple, something as simple as what floor they're located on and how you're getting to that floor, meaning is it concrete steps or is it wood steps, can actually make all the difference in the world because wood makes noise, concrete does not make noise as a simple example. So knowledge with these things is what it's really all about. It's a it's a 90 percent intelligence operation and a 10 percent tactical operation. And this sounds like they got a they had they had enough fidelity from an intelligence perspective where they felt confident where they could be successful, which is when you go to pitch this stuff to the leadership, what doesn't matter if it's American, Israeli or Guatemalan. At some point, somebody has to green light this thing. And that decision, that go or no go, is predicated on the likelihood of success. 
nobody wants to green light a hostage rescue operation that is a 50% fail. Nobody wants to do that. So it, it comes down to how much intelligence do we have? Can we get placement and access? Do we feel confident that we can make entry, maintain the element of surprise, cause distraction that will work, which is what in this case they did. They conducted a, uh, the Israeli Air Force did a bunch of bombings nearby to distract everybody uh, and make that whole symphony. And that's very much what it's like. It's like a, it's like an orchestra. All the instruments have to play on tune. Everything has to work out well. If you have one flute that's off key, that's the thing that everybody hears, and that's when thing go, things go sideways. So when, when planning these operations, getting that all to work in harmony is really what it's all about. And once you feel confident that that can happen, then you, then you initiate the operation. I suspect that the Israelis have known where these people are at for quite some, for quite some time, but the stars hadn't aligned in an appropriate way where they were able to, where they felt confident that they could be successful until, until uh, just recently where the stars did align, everything uh, that they needed to know was revalidated. The, the, uh, the placement and access of intelligence was, was sustained, meaning the, uh, you know, what, what's true a month ago may not be true today. So you, so you revalidate your intel. All those things went into play. When, when all those things are good to go, you pitch one more time. Some decision maker out there says, this sounds good to me, and I will assume that risk. Go get them. And that's exactly what happened. Thank you very much for that insight, because that's uh, something that are not a lot of us hear as far as the thought process that goes into something like that. But I do want to ask you, when you are successful in extricating hostages, be it two or 20 or 200, in this situation, what does that mean for the remaining hostages? Because once you're successful one time, then the other side is going to react. Are we going to move hostages? Are we going to split them up? How much harder does it make an, uh, uh, any subsequent rescue uh, as it so, comes down to this? Yeah, so, so that's a double-edged sword. The bad guys, if you will. The bad guys, if the intelligence community is doing their job right, it should be confusing to the bad guys as to how they figured it out in the first place. Meaning, and this is when we talk about sources and methods and classification, this is where all that stuff becomes very, very, very important. And we, in, at Project Dynamo, we've had a number of these circumstances where uh, there's, a, there's a, one of our most famous cases that we did was an operation called Detroit Lions. If you Google Project Dynamo and Detroit Lions, it'll come right up. There was an American kid uh, from Detroit, Michigan, that was arrested by the Russians. He was falsely charged on 11 counts of espionage. He's the first American victim of war crimes alive since World War II. The FBI actually just indicted for the first time in history the perpetrators of the war crimes in this case. He's been being held by Russian forces in Russian-occupied Ukraine, 200-something miles behind enemy lines, in captivity. Today, the Russians still don't know how we did it. They have no idea. They have no clue. There are some Russians that think that we didn't take them out by land. They think that we used the river, which is not true. I will tell you, we took them out on land. Uh, I did the operation myself. So if you do this right, the bad guys are going to react, of course, and they're going to kind of puff up a little bit. But if you do it right, they actually don't know how they don't they don't understand. They, they don't know what we know. 
So, so yes, they're going to react. Yes, it, 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 there's a potential for making it harder. What you really hope and pray is that they react in the way that you want them to react that is unimpactful to the next time you want to do this, if that makes sense. So if they think that I took them out by water, what I want them to do is put all kinds of Navy, you know, put all kinds of boats in the water to stop me, even though that actually has no bearing on how I did it or how I'll do, or how I'll do it in the future. So yes, they'll react. Yes, they'll, um, they'll try and figure it out. They're going to want to know who, you know, if they had a rat in the house, if they had a penetration somehow, um, uh, they'll want to know, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll make some assumptions. Very often those are right. Very often those are wrong. So it's all about controlling to the extent that you can what they know about your intelligence operation. And that's, this is the field of counterintelligence, which is the lost art of, of, manipulation, manipulating, uh, manipulating the enemy intelligence into thinking that they're strong when they're weak or making them think that they're weak when they're strong and all these other variables. So yes, it will have an impact. Of course it does. Hostage rescue is extremely complicated. It's the, it's the most complicated thing that special operations, uh, it's the most complicated flavor that intelligence forces and special operations forces conduct because you're on a hair trigger. If you break down that door and you think that the bad guys and the hostages are within 10 feet of the door, but come to find out they're three rooms deep and you didn't know those hostages are going to be executed on the spot. So, you, so um, it, is the, it is the most fragile, delicate, complicated thing that these kinds of forces do. That said, if you have very good intelligence and very good counterintelligence, uh, you can be successful. And that's what happened here. We're talking with Project Dynamo founder Brian Stern. More of our conversation in just a moment. You mentioned at the beginning of your answer there, the double-edged sword, and, and the United States kind of faces that here right now because there's been a back and forth with uh, Israeli officials and the United States about how these things play out. Uh, as far as when you think of these hostages that were rescued, the airstrikes killed many Palestinians and the U.S. has been, shall we say, concerned about the collateral damage that happens here with uh, uh, with Palestinians being killed as these rescue efforts happen. How does the U.S. balance its full throated support of Israel and but still have those concerns about what is happening with people that are being killed, innocent people that are being killed with these airstrikes, because uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said on uh, the uh, Sunday shows for Israel to pull back for them means losing the war. And that is not acceptable to him. How do they balance that? Well, this, this is where it gets so complicated in this, in this particular conflict. And when I, um, yeah, I'm not pro-Israeli. I'm not pro-Palestinian. I'm, I'm anti-hostage, right? So, um, uh, um, and I'm pro-American. So my, you know, my primary concern uh, from a Project Dynamo perspective is the rescue of American hostages, right? The release of them, the rescue of them. I don't care how they get out. If it's done by the, the, the B'nai B'rith of Long Island, it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't matter if it's our forces, their forces. Uh, it is what you know. That's the goal. Now, 
when I think about these things, and I get asked this question a lot about, well, you know, the, what the Israelis are doing, is that appropriate? Uh, does it make sense? What are the second, third order consequences of the way they're conducting the war? I think about us. And I ask myself if, you know, it's a, it's a statistical fact that if October 7th happened in America by population density, it would be the equivalent of 38, 39,000 people killed if it were Americans, right? If it happened here. And I can, and it's a very easy thing. It's a very easy question to ask. What would we do if somebody killed 39,000 Americans? Right? Well, we actually know the answer to this question because a group of ad guys killed 3,000 Americans and we went to war for 20 years in 100 countries. Okay. That's what we did. This is 10X. So. It's if you go by the numbers, which this is is not a very fair way to do it, but it's a place to start. Could you imagine if on the morning of September 12th, the prime minister of Israel called President George Bush and said, hey, look, I understand that you have 3000 dead people. At the time, we didn't know what it was. Right. We thought it was 10,000, 15,000 on the morning of 9-11. Could you imagine if the president as the prime minister of Israel called America, called the United States president and said, look, I know you've just lost a lot of people. I understand. But look, I'm surrounded by Arab countries who hate us. We're your number one ally. If you go to war against the Muslim world, it will be very bad for Israel. So we would appreciate it as Israel if you just metered your response a little bit. We would have hung up the phone and said, how dare you tell us? 10,000 of our people are dead. Who are you to tell us how to defend our country and avenge our dead and bring bad guys to justice? How dare you? Is what our response would have been as America. I want to ask you this question because the last time we saw significant releases was a uh, the humanitarian pause of some time ago. There is a very thin line. Uh, from the people who talk about these kinds of things between a ceasefire and a humanitarian pause? Is there one that's more advantageous than the other? Um, I, I, would, I think it's a, it's a step-by-step process. Um, I, what, I would, what I would suggest is, um, is uh, you know, a humanitarian pause is a step in the right direction, is a step. It's not the step. And you need to remember that both sides have a lot of blood on their hands and both sides are um, reeling, reeling with pain and suffering and pressure from their people. Uh, So and, and there's no trust between either side. So if the Israelis say, trust me, the Palestinians don't buy it and nor should they. And when the Palestinians say, trust me, the, the Israelis don't buy it, nor should they. So this, this, there's no light switch. This has to be very, in order to get things to slow down and de-escalate, both sides, both sides need to play an active role in their success. The catch is, is that, you know, Israel is simply stronger and has more resources and better, better equipped, better organized and uh, better funded and all those things. So, you know, Hamas is in a bad spot, which is why they took hostages in the first place. That, you know, the reason why hostage takers take hostages is because they need leverage over a superior force. Well, there's a way that there's a way that Hamas can play an active role in their survival. They're choosing not to. It's a choice. 
It's a choice for the same reason that Israel can choose to not bomb whatever they want to bomb. That, too, is a choice. Both sides need to incentivize the other side to scale it back. The problem is, is that Hamas was doing that for a little bit and they stopped. So we, we had humanitarian pauses, which resulted in a lot of aid coming in that was predicated on agreements and deals that one side was no longer able to uphold. And that's on the Palestinian side. That's on the Palestinian side. And I can walk through why that is and how that all happened. But it's, it's very obvious when you, when you understand it, very obvious why the Israelis said, okay, we had an agreement. You're not keeping your end of the agreement. I guess the bombing will continue until you keep your end of the agreement. And again, again, when, when you hear people calling on the, you know, people are calling on, the, uh, on President Biden to get involved, well, the reality is, Israel has been extremely clear. Release hostages, we stop bombing. President Biden doesn't have any hostages. He doesn't. There's not much that he can do other than send emails and have phone calls. At the end of the day, any way you slice it, the survival of the Palestinian people are in the hands of Hamas and its affiliates. Brian Stern, founder of Project Dynamo, thank you for joining us uh, on this edition of the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.